The Mazda lineup of SUVs will provide safety, performance, and capability on your journey ahead. From the three-row Mazda CX-9 to the first-ever Mazda CX-50, our sales team is ready to guide you to the SUV for your lifestyle. Shop the Omaha Metro's exclusive Mazda dealers at Woodhouse Mazda in Bellevue or Woodhouse Place Mazda. Visit us online for your next Mazda SUV at woodhousemazda.com. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And are you ready to join a ragged band of dwarves, some reavers, and the mysterious old man on a dragon hunt? Yes, I am. I'm so excited to climb this mountain, kill this dragon, get this gold, and earn my vassal state. That's all I ever wanted, Brett. Oh, so you, you have Ike <laughs> of Denizlay joining us here. Ike, how are you? Probably not That's too right. well I'm after what happened to you in this Ike episode. my best Ike impression today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely don't want to be him on this expedition. But yeah, today we're talking about episode six of The Witcher. We are quickly closing in on that finale. We are quickly closing in on the end of season one. Um, I've had a blast covering the past five episodes with you, but today we're going to be, like we said, hunting a dragon in episode six of The Witcher. Now, this episode is titled Rare Species. We'll get into what that may or may not mean in a little bit later on. But first, let's start with a quick recap, and then we'll transition into our three key moments and really deep dive into the episode, and then we'll wrap up with our big picture final thoughts. Geralt and Yaskier meet Borch, three jackdaws, a mysterious old man with two fierce Zirikanian warriors at his side. He tells them of King Nedimir's dragon problem and the four teams who have volunteered to hunt the dragon for riches and glory. Geralt initially refuses to join Borch's hunting party, claiming that he doesn't kill dragons. When he realizes Yennefer is also on the expedition, Hello. he quickly changes his mind, much to the chagrin of Yaskir. In Brokilon, Ciri and Dara accompany Doppler Mousesack out of the forest. Ciri is talkative and just happy to see a familiar face, but Dara is suspicious. The four hunting parties trek up the path to the dragon's lair. They come across a starving Hirika, Sir Ike, the bumbling knight with whom Yen is working with, hacks away at the helpless beast and brutally kills it. The expedition then camps for the night. They discuss the politics of the world and Sir Ike eats his kill because a knight never wastes a kill. He quickly becomes sick and takes his leave. Geralt and Borch discuss dragons and disagree on the existence of the mythical gold dragon. The next morning, Yarpin finds Sir Ike murdered. It seems Boholt and his reavers aren't playing fair. The dwarves know of a secret passage that will get them to the dragon's lair before the reavers. Geralt confronts Yen and finds out that she's on this expedition to take the dragon's heart and use it to heal her infertility. They argue about raising a child, and Geralt accidentally lets slip that he has a child of surprise. Whoops. Dara finally convinces Ciri to question Doppler Mousesack. She quickly realizes that he's not the real Mousesack, and the three get into a struggle. The Doppler is momentarily subdued with Dara's silver knife, and Ciri makes a run for it after she fails to land a killing blow. The dwarf's shortcut turns out to be a perilous ledge that skirts the edge of a mountain. Tragically, Borch and the Zeracanians slip and fall, seemingly to their deaths. 
Geralt and Yaskier mourn the loss of their travel companions and plan to leave the hunt the next morning. But first, Geralt visits Yennefer's tent, where the two make love and discuss their tumultuous relationship. It seems like they're finally coming to understand each other. The blissful happiness doesn't last long, though, because Yen insists the next morning that they continue the hunt. She still wants to kill that dragon and get that heart. Siri is seemingly captured by Kair, but oh wait, it's just a Doppler who has taken the form of Siri. The Doppler then changes into Kair and fights the real Kair. The fight is bloody and brutal, and maybe confusing, and the <laughs> Doppler barely manages to escape. Back on the mountain, Geralt and Yen arrive at the dragon's lair. They find a dead green dragon curled around a dragon's egg. The Zeracanians and the gold chicken, uh, I mean, the dragon, arrive to protect the egg. Turns out Borch is the legendary gold dragon. The Reavers arrive and a fight breaks out. Our heroes defeat the Reavers and convince the dwarves to leave without asking any questions. The real Siri, who is for some reason just tied to a random tree, apparently the Doppler who tied her there wasn't going to come back, is rescued <laughs> by Dara. At this point, Dara is sick of saving Siri's life and is very much over putting his own life at risk for her. He leaves Siri alone and afraid in the forest. On the mountaintop, Borch lets slip the truth about Geralt's last wish. Yennefer is furious, and the two get into a heated argument before Borch breaks them up. He tells them that Yen will never cure her infertility, and that Geralt will lose Yen. He already has, says Yennefer, storming off. Geralt is angry and hurt, and lashes out at poor Yaskier, who leaves in a truly heartbreaking scene. Frangilla patches up Kyer's wounds, and the two discuss their devotion to the Nilfgaardian cause, the White Flame. Kyer turns to the camera and says, the time of the sword and the axe is nigh. Ah, uh, and at this point, my eyes roll through the back of my head, and I jam out to Yaskier's decidedly fire tune during the credits. Okay, this was my second favorite Yaskier song. So what specifically caused them to roll out the back? The final thing that they rolled out of? It was the entire Siri plot for me. It was the Doppler plot. It was Kai here acting the way he's acting. It was Nilfgaard. I mean, we're gonna we're, we'll get to this. Okay, so, okay. Um, one of our the, our final key moment is, of course, the Siri plot and the Doppler plot. So, I think we'll touch on it. But uh, I think you and I are, have similar opinions when it comes to what's happening with Siri's plotline. It's been something that's been building up since maybe the last episode or two, and we've discussed it in our previous episodes. Again, we'll get to it. I think you and I are of the same mind there. But as usual, let's move on to our three key moments. And I really want to start with the parts of this episode that I truly enjoyed, and I think what represents the heart of this episode. And our first key moment here is, well, I cheated a little bit. It's actually three key moments, but I wanted to compress it into one because they all connect. It's the three key conversations that Yen and Geralt have. There's one at the beginning on the mountaintop, and then there's a second one in Yen's tent after they spend the night together. And then, of course, the final conversation is the one they have at the end with Borch when the truth comes out. So what I wanted us to do is really compare the tone and context of these three conversations between Yen and Geralt and talk about how their romance, their love for each other, and their objectives through this episode are really what tie this particular story together. Would you agree with my analysis on that? I think this is really the heart of the story. 
Yeah, so and I think a good thing about it is all three of their conversations maybe not necessarily build to something, but they at least come to a head. And at first, it doesn't say, unless it really slipped by me, it doesn't say how long they've been apart or haven't seen each other. But from the bounds of reason in the books, the short story this is based on, it says in there that it has been four years since they have seen each other. And so it kind of makes sense as they come together, they're going to get these barbs out and they're going to get this resentment out about who did what, generally why Geralt messed things up because Geralt tends to mess things up. Yeah. That's what he does. That's who he is. And yeah, so and to quickly, if I can interject, to answer the question of a timeline, the show actually unveiled an official map and an official timeline for the show. Uh, so we do actually have an answer to how long it's been since Geralt and Yennefer have met. The Last Wish took place, according to the website, I have it pulled up right here, took place in 1256. And then if I fast forward, this episode, The Dragon Hunt, took place in 1262. So according to the show's timeline, it's been about six years since they met each other. And that's good that you looked that up because I'm going to be super confused because they changed a lot of that. So it's been six years, even longer. So you get this where they come out and man, they trade some barbs here, don't they? Yes. Oh, it is an absolutely brutal first conversation. Geralt, after joining this expedition to the mountain solely because of Yennefer, finally approaches her at the top of this mountaintop and basically confronts her, asks her, why are you here? What are you doing? Why are you hunting this dragon? And Yennefer basically makes it clear to us that she is doing it to cure her infertility because of some old wives' tales about how dragon hearts can cure infertility. And that's what she's chasing after. Again, she this is a continuation of her story from the previous episode where she is after this one thing and she will go to whatever lengths that she can to get it. And at this point, Geralt is, um, let's just say he's not very smooth about it, right? He says in reaction, seriously, you, a mother? <laughs> and Yennefer's reaction is, well, you don't think I'd make a good mother? And he says, no. And um, as, as crass as Geralt is being here, he does have a point, right? Like, I mean, the lives that both Geralt and Yennefer lead don't really suit themselves to childcare, right? You can't really raise a child as a witcher. And I'm not going to get into the real life aspects of it. And I especially, fortunately for me, cannot remotely relate to having gone through what they've gone through or even close. But Geralt and Yen are both victims of abuse and they're victims of being abused as children. And, Absolutely. What, and what they've gone through just becoming essentially, Geralt is not really human. And Yen, if you're going to use that, Yen really isn't either, just the magic. And she's, you know, she's going to, at this time, she's 80 years old or something like that, 70 or whatever. Looks like she's in her 30s. Yeah. So right. they're not, that's not human. To be human is to age and everything that comes with it. They're not really aging. And we will get into the whole aspects of are they aging psychologically, which they don't seem to be, but we can save that for a whole other thing. That'll be a very special episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so he's not wrong in the sense of at this point, I don't think either of them would be good. Even as people where they're at right now, even if somehow they were able to live stable lives, which none of them could, mainly because they don't know what to do. Yen is very power hungry in that sense. So like he kind of 
patronizes her there. She says, Mark, don't patronize me. And he laughs saying he's not, but he clearly is. He's laughing like as he's saying it. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's not wrong in that sense. But I do want to think of it both as these people are victims of abuse. They come from abuse and everything they do cannot be seen as, oh, they've had a normal life. Right, right. And both Geralt and Yennefer sort of touch on that as well. The the lives that they lead now, they did not choose. The lives were these lives were forced upon them. I do want to say moving on with this conversation, we do get a little bit more insight into why Yennefer may or may not want this child. We discussed this a little bit in our previous episode. I had asked you what you thought Yennefer's real reason behind wanting a child was. And she sort of paints a picture for us here. She says, quote, they took my choice and I want it back. And this was actually a theory we had discussed in our last episode. You had said this, that she wants that agency back. She wants that choice back. It's something that she thinks Eratusa took from her. And now she wants it back. That is one of the many reasons that Yennefer wants his child. There's another reason we'll learn later on in their second conversation. But we're starting to get a bit of a clearer picture on why exactly it is Yennefer is so obsessed with this. And then, of course, on the flip side, Geralt here lets slip that he is also dealing with a potential child situation with his child surprise from back in the banquet. Uh, and I thought this was really touching and really interesting. He he lets slip that he has a child surprise, and Yennefer, of course, is like, what the fuck? And at this point, Geralt sort of catches himself, and he's like, ugh, and he says, quote, Every time I'm near you, I say more in five minutes than I've said in weeks. And this I think, is without question my favorite of all the uh, the fucks that Geralt says because he doesn't just say it in the past. He catches himself like, "What? Ah, fuck!" Like the yeah. like like he's like, "What did I just say? Oh, damn it!" But just fuck. <laughs> so yeah, that's really good, and I do like that Yen essentially calls him out on this blatant hypocrisy. As she doesn't know why he has the child of surprise, all she knows about it is Geralt claimed that instead of it being what it was. And again, it's different in the show than in the books. In the books, it started out as him absolutely wanting a Witcher kid, like to get a Witcher in there. And here it's not. Here it was just like, yeah, just give me whatever. Oh, shit. It's a kid. I don't want it. So for Yen it's going to be very, very different of her reading his intentions with the child of surprise. Right. Absolutely. So this conversation then wraps up with Geralt saying, hey, we're taking a shortcut with the dwarves. Please come with me. And Yennefer replies, I can take care of myself. And this is obviously very in character for Yennefer. It's very on brand for her. She doesn't want anyone's help. She wants to be self-sufficient. She wants to be powerful. And Geralt here responds with, just a touch of sadness. I actually really liked Henry Cavill's delivery of this particular line. He responds with, you don't always have to. And he sounds a little sad here and a little tired. And it's almost like they've had this argument before. It's almost like Geralt, who seems to have genuine affection for Yennefer, is trying to like reach out, trying to hold out an olive branch of like, hey, like, you know, we're in this together. And Yennefer keeps pushing back with like, no. I can only trust myself. And again, this is her abuse talking. I can only trust myself. I can't trust other people. I can take care of myself. I don't need you. And I thought the delivery here was really genuine and really touching and really sweet. All right. So the second conversation, Geralt 
visiting the tent, you know, getting a little, okay, going to make a little conversation over there, whatever his intentions were. And they discuss, <laughs> it's a more, let's say the arms are down, or the weapons are down this time. Yeah, I mean, I thought this scene was very beautiful and touching. And again, they we already talked about this, but they sort of talk about these past six years in the show that have transpired. And we see these flashback scenes of Geralt wakes up, Yennefer's not there. Yennefer wakes up, Geralt's not there. And it's clear that they have some level of affection for each other. Geralt seems like he is much more infatuated than Yennefer, potentially. But there's been some pain points in the relationship. Here, things seem to be smoothing over, right? They spend the night together, they're laying in bed, and they're really opening up and discussing their feelings with each other. And we learn a little bit more about Yennefer's motivations, about why she wants this child. She says to Geralt, quote, I dreamed of becoming important to someone when he had asked her, did you always dream of being a mother? And I thought this was really telling. I think this shows us a little bit of Yen's vulnerability. She's really opening up here to Geralt and to the viewer. We're getting a glimpse into maybe the hole in Yennefer's heart. She doesn't feel like she's ever been important to someone, that someone has perhaps loved her or wanted her without some sort of ulterior motive. That really plays a part into why she wants the child. That was my read on it. Did you think there was any anything more to this? I dreamed of becoming an important to someone. No, I think that's pretty much it. You know, it harkens back to her speech to the lack of a better term, dead baby <laughs> on the beach about how women are just vessels and how just being used and and not just her being a woman in that sense, but again, she was used by her parents, I guess mainly her dad taken away, used by the mages to become a mage, and then, like you said, already used by the Brotherhood and all that to shape the outlook or the worldview of the kingdoms, and then used in that sense. So she's always been used by it. They took her choice, you know, way on to her reproductive measures. And I guess in her mind, she has a child that that's a bond that is, I guess, tighter or closer than any she has ever had and is blood, bound by blood in that sense. Absolutely, yeah. And one little nugget that I noticed, I don't know if this was intentional, but i almost certain it was. Geralt here even says something to the along the lines of, before you came into my life, the, the days were long and the nights were longer, or something along those lines. But here... He falls asleep comfortably in her bed alongside Yennefer. And I think this is a reference to last week where he kept bringing up the fact that he had insomnia. He was stressed about this child surprise. He couldn't find any peace. He couldn't fall asleep effectively. And here next to Yennefer, he finally finds his peace and he can finally fall asleep and get some rest. And I think that's really telling. For Geralt, Yennefer is comfort. Yennefer is a life that he never thought he'd have for himself, a family, love, comfort, all the things that witchers don't ever expect to have. I was going to say, she completes him Jerry Maguire style. <laughs> and if you don't understand that reference, you kids out there, um, look it up. <laughs> but I, And you hit on it there at the end also. 
that this is also Geralt's... Yen asks Geralt if he regrets becoming a witcher, and he, you know, explains the obvious, I didn't get to choose. And this to him represents, or could represent, normalcy or a normal life, where he just, he has a wife or he has a companion, and he just wants to sleep in and spend time with them yeah. and doesn't want to do all this other stuff. He doesn't want to be a witcher. He just does it because he has to do it, and he's good at it. And so I almost think when they wake up and they go out, and he is just crestfallen that she wants to stay and continue the hunt. Yeah, yeah, that that blissful, romantic evening they spent together absolutely shattered when she is doesn't want to go back. She's like, no, the dragon, we're almost to the top. We got to get to the dragon. We got to get this heart. She is still dead set on her mission. And then at the very end, they're sitting with Borch and Borch lets slip a little detail about Geralt's last wish. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't seem, I mean, it seemed like he meant it, like he didn't care. He wasn't like, oh, what did I just say? It was like, nah, I'm saying this. She needs to hear it. Yeah, this needs to get out so then he can deliver his sage, not even advice. Like, he just tells him, yo, this is what it is. Sorry. Yeah, truly brutal. But I I really actually liked the way he put it, too. I'm going to give you a little bit of pain now to save you a lot of suffering later. I think what he was trying to do was smooth over whatever relationship issues they had and just break the news to them. And, of course, both of them are incredibly stubborn. Uh, And at this point, like you said earlier, uh, not quite at a maturity level where they can maybe move on past their obsessions. Yen is still obsessed with finding a cure. Geralt is still obsessed with Yen. And uh, yeah, like at this point, Yennefer feels betrayed. She finds out that the last wish was Geralt tying their destinies together in some way. We talked about this at length in our previous episode. And she is now worried that what she may be feeling isn't real, that it's magical. There's a lot of doubt and betrayal here. And again, like we touched on earlier, I think there's a sense that she feels used again. She feels used by Geralt. That Geralt wanted her, so he used this last wish to get what he wants. He wanted Yennefer, so he used whatever means he could to obtain her. And it's not just... It's that loss of of agency for her again. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not just that. It's just all of a sudden... It's taken away her choice. Because if she does choose to be with Geralt, she, it's because she chose. But if he used this wish to unite them together somehow, then he has taken away her choice of them being together. Yeah, it all comes back to choice for her. And this really is the ultimate betrayal from Geralt, the fact that he stripped away her choice. And I want to note, it's been six years, and he never brought this up! <laughs> Six years of on and off relationship, and he never mentioned what that last wish was. Well, see, that's the thing, too. He left in Rind. He wasn't there in the morning, right? Yeah. So they have seen each other since then? I think that's the assumption. Okay. I think the assumption is that they've had an on and off relationship. She does say that she keeps. she's never ran into a witcher. Now she keeps running into... So again, I'm bringing my book bias where, like I said before, it was four years. They hadn't seen each other in four years. And I'm kind, of, like, I'm kind of blending that in. But that's right. Yen did say that she just keeps running into him like they're linked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there were a couple of hints like that, that I think the assumption in the show, which you're exactly right, is different from the books. 
the assumption here is that they have seen each other over these past six years, potentially on and off. And whenever they, I don't know, hook up or get together or, you know, try and find some sort of stable relationship together, it inevitably breaks for one reason or another. Um, but of course, Borch interrupts. And like we said earlier, he sort of drops some painful truths on them. He says, Yennefer, you won't be able to find a cure. And then he tells Geralt, you won't be able to hold on to Yennefer like you desperately, desperately want. Um, beyond revealing some truths to Yennefer and Geralt, he does once again remind both the viewer and Geralt that his destiny awaits, that Syria awaits, and, and that is what he should be seeking. He shouldn't be chasing Yennefer. He should be going after his destiny. And I don't know. At this point, I've heard the words destiny and Siri so much in this show that I kind of identify with Geralt's outburst against Yaskier. Like, damn it, I get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that might have been like a Freudian slip by the writers to be like, don't we need to get back on track with the main story? <laughs> yeah. We, we've had our side quests. Now back to the main quests. Yeah, Def definitely a helpful reminder, I think. But yes, we are effectively... That is letting the viewer know that, hey, we're getting back on track. It's going to be about Siri and Destiny going forward. And it truly is. That's what the next two episodes are going to be concerned with. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your podcast on Witchers and Ghouls in just a minute. But before we do that, we would like to take you on a little trip to a galaxy far, far away. Right, Connor? Right, Jaden. On our series, we'll be jumping into the most memorable stories from the Star Wars video games, exploring their connections to the wider canon, and just generally fanboying around. We'll be tackling all the really deep questions, such as... How does a Wookiee find love? If an Ewok trips and falls in the forest, but no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? What are those tentacles on top of a Twi'lek's head used for? All that and more on the Star Wars series right here on Lore Party. Look for us on the Lore Party feed by searching for Star Wars. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you. All right, let's move on to our second key moment. And this is the moment in the Dragon's Lair when we arrive, we find out the truth about the dragon, about the egg, about Borch, and uh, we have the fight scene with the Reavers. Now, I want to back up before we talk about the scene in the lair in particular. I do want to talk about some of the changes to the overall dragon plot from the books, because there are quite a few, I think, of the episodes we've had so far. Every episode has adjusted and tweaked the original short story and the original text to fit uh, med the medium of television. But this one uh, definitely goes the extra mile. It changes quite a bit from the books. Yeah, and there wasn't... They kept the, everything that was mainly in there. So it wasn't anything too big and they made some notable ones that I'll have at the end there. But the one that I really would would have liked to have seen was in the books there's this character, Doregory, Doragary, something like that, who essentially was the voice of think of like an environmentalist or in animal rights or something like that, to where he was on this hunt to stop them. And for some reason, they just kept letting him tag along. <laughs> like, I would think somebody would have just banished him, being like, hey, you are going to actively <laughs> sabotage because you're on the side of monsters. There are no monsters. He's calling humans the monsters. Basically saying everything has a right to live. And I do think it wasn't needed. I just would have liked to have been that, that to be in there, but I guess we got enough of that with Geralt by himself. 
Other changes were in this, in the show, the mother dragon was dead and there was an egg. In the books, the mother dragon was alive and the egg had hatched. It was like this little baby dragon. Um, Ike was not nearly as bad in the book <laughs> as the show. They made him just horrible. Like Total I mean, just the yeah. worst. They gave him. They had him shitting himself. Then they gave him an <laughs> ignominious death while shitting. Whoever wrote this did not like Ike. But yeah, somebody had a beef with Ike. Yeah, and so for instance, instead of it being a shortcut by the dwarves, everyone's together. There are no teams. It's just all together. And King Nedimir is there. He's the one in charge of it. And Yen is really serving him. But the the bridge that breaks, it's Geralt and Yen who are hanging perilous, and everyone up there is like, nah, fuck them, let them die. And then you see like Dandelion and the other guy, I forgot his name, who's not on the show. They help him up, and it turns out it was Ike who gave them the rope, like this magic elven rope. Yeah. Um, and other things, yeah, Borch, uh, Borch, Tay, and Vea, they just disappear when all this stuff goes on, and then they come back. They don't die like they did there. And the biggest thing, and this is why adaptations are can be good and why you can cut some things out or change them, it, in the story, Yen kind of turned on everybody. She turned on Geralt and Dandelion, and then she double-crossed the Reavers and the Dwarves. Well, eventually, they tied her up to this wagon. Boholt tears open her tunic, so her breasts and everything are exposed. He fondles her, basically says, I'm going to go kill these guys, come back and rape you. And while that's going on, I should say that uh, Yaskier and Geralt are tied up as well. Yaskier is just staring at her breasts and like kind of mocking her. Because again, they don't really like each other. But it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh my God. So they've made Yaskier so much better in the show just by not doing that. Because he's very, he can be very problematic in the books. He really can. Some yeah, of it, he, we, he's a womanizer to a problematic degree. In the but books, not even. But sure. it's not just even that. It's just some of the stuff he says or his views about that, which is the views you'd expect from a womanizer. But some of that we probably won't talk about till like twenty twenty five. So we'll come back to that. So there were just changes like that. But I do agree with you that once it got to the fight at the end, while it might not have been as cool as in the books. You could not. You couldn't have done it the other way, just for a budgetary reason, and just to kind of keep everything in one spot. I think they at least did that correctly, or they did it well enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think they really they compressed a lot of the characters. There was a much larger cast, like you said in the books, and they really streamlined the story. But they they kept the major plot points and they kept the major beats of the story exactly as they were. The baby dragon or the dragon egg, like all of that. Is still consistent. It's still thematically consistent. So I also liked a lot of the changes and I didn't mind that they streamlined this story for television. Yeah. And Yen got to kick a little ass here as opposed to just yes. being tied to the wagon. <laughs> yes. That was great too. Yeah. Yen, Yen is getting quite the, quite the glow up in the show and I'm all here for it. It's great. So some, something that they also tweaked from the books and which I think actually really fit with this episode was sort of the main theme of this episode. I think while Geralt and Yennefer's love story was the heart of this episode, I think the big theme here is something that Geralt said at the very beginning when he and Borch are sitting in the bar talking and discussing the hunt for the dragon. Geralt says, quote, no treasure is worth dying for. And then Borch responds to him with saying, quote, it depends on the treasure. And I think that's really the theme of this episode. I think every character, all of our main characters in this episode are chasing after this treasure that they would die for. 
Geralt's treasure here is Yennefer. He is in love with her. The minute he sees that she is on this expedition, he's all in. For Yennefer, this treasure is a cure for her infertility. And then finally for Borch, of course, the treasure here is honestly really sentimental and really touching. The treasure for him is protecting an endangered species, protecting his endangered species. He wants to take care of this child and raise it and ensure that dragons who are a dying breed continue to exist in the world. So I thought the big theme of this episode is really touching, and I think they really did uh, stay consistent with that and nail it when it came to our three main characters here. I'm, I'm not sure what Yasker is chasing. He's like weird hitting on the Zaracanians on Teya and Veya. I was not a big fan of that, but I guess it was comic relief. I don't know what you thought about that. Well, Yaskier to me is becoming problematic in the sense of he's becoming a one-note comic relief to where, oh, Yaskier's on screen. Oh, Yaskier's about to talk. It's time to laugh. And the problem with that is it's set up before anything's ever really even said. It also trivializes his character for maybe in the future, I don't know, maybe a short story that they might adapt, they probably won't adapt, that really kind of hits on him. And it's almost just making him one note. Yeah, yeah, you had mentioned this in our previous episode too, but it, he's just, someone decided Yaskier was going to be the comic relief. So now that every time he's on screen, you know there's going to be some joke cracked. You know that some sort of comic relief is coming. Like, that's his entire purpose. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's I guess maybe in something as sentimental as this was, it just kind of didn't really fit. Because there's, there's a ton of humor in the Witcher world. Yeah, and in this episode in particular, there were a lot of funny moments in this episode. Yeah. But going back to the treasures, yeah, it's also especially true that each of their treasures are one of a kind. It's not you know, sack of gold at the end or dragon teeth that the dwarves got. Yeah, great Although, point. I, I guess that could almost be that same way. But yeah, Yen is one of a kind, especially to Geralt. Obviously a dragon baby, a dragonling. That's probably what it is, right? Probably. A little, little dra- I guess not a dragonling yet, it's just an egg, is clearly one of a kind. And that to Yen, when she's told you can't do it, it becomes even more. It's not even something that should really even exist to her. Because it's being said, you cannot have children. But I also like that they did give a lot of good clues like to who Borch was, including his, lack of better term, his armor essentially is scaled. Yeah, and it's like yeah. dragon scales on his armor. And the way he delivered that line depends on the treasure. It's very clear that something is eating him right there. Yeah, I, th- I thought the actor, we discussed this before we started recording, I thought the actor for Borge nailed it. I, th- I thought that was a great casting choice. Yeah, I loved, I mean, beyond his voice, which just melts oh. me. I like that they essentially aged him up and did this as like, this is my last hurrah. Everything he said was set up well to where on a rewatch, it's very clear that he's having double messages, double meanings of his words. Yeah, I agree. I, of course, you and I knew he was the dragon the first time we watched the short story. So I was already looking for a lot of the little hints and the clues. But I think for show only watchers and people who don't know about the Borch reveal going in the first time, a rewatch, once they do know about that reveal, will definitely be that much more enjoyable. I think 
the little hints that they're dropping from literally his very first couple of lines all the way through the episode until the reveal are are very well done. And I think thematically, they're quite consistent too. I, I like, like you said, they aged him up and they played into this idea of purpose. They played into this idea that Borch has lived a long enough life because he's an older man that he has experienced a lot of what life has to offer. He says at the very beginning of the episode, at my age, there are very few firsts left. There are very few first times I will get to do something because I've experienced so much of life. By the end of the episode, we know he's a gold dragon. He's probably lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that really ties into that theme as well. He's probably experienced centuries of life. And there's very few firsts left for him. I think what's interesting here is that raising a dragon child seems to be a genuine first. I don't think Borch has ever raised a child before. At least that's sort of my headcanon and my assumption that this is a real and actual first for him. Yeah, and I've beaten this dead horse before and I'm going to continue just thrashing it. But it's where an entire episode of this, it would have been better instead of the detour of the Siri. Uh, the detour to Siri. We'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. And so if it would have been the whole episode on that, could have put a couple more things in that yeah, might have yeah. hit a little bit or at least been more interesting in that sense. Again, I understand why they didn't. But yeah, I think you covered everything there. And so with the controversies, as I say it with my English friends out there, <laughs> one thing that's come up, and I'll admit this, I generally don't give a shit when it comes to CGI or effects in that area. Um, I know nothing about video production, nothing about hell, even Photoshop or anything like that. And so I looked up something where you said, you know, you have on there is what you said, the dragon CGI is bad. And that seems to be a very common sentiment. Yeah. But I also think, and I also think, I don't necessarily think it was the CGI because again, unless something's like bad and I'm like, oh my God, if I notice it, then I think it's bad. If I don't notice it, then I think, oh, that's okay. The design of the dragon was kind of weird where maybe they were trying to convey that it was not starving, but not doing too well, even the golden dragon. And it looked like a flying lizard. It looked very lizard-like. And I do think that a lot of people want their dragons to be like what was on Game of Thrones. That what was, uh, was that movie, The Dragon Heart? Or what was that Christian Bale McConaughey movie? Uh, Ar- Arag something or whatever? I don't know. I was thinking How to Train Your Dragon as another example. Or, how to, or how to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> like those very traditional dragons. And this was not it. I think they just, I don't know, again, I don't know why they designed it that way. But I don't think it really hit with a lot of people. And I think I think it was that more than the CGI, per se. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I, I don't think the CGI, the actual technical aspects of it was bad. But I actually fall in the camp of agreeing, unfortunately, with a lot of Reddit and a lot of the internet. Again, this is extremely subjective. And you, you touched on this. We're going to talk about some of these quote-unquote controversies that people have discussed uh, since the show's come out. but. What we're going to talk about is all super subjective and really just comes down to how you saw it. So there's no really right or wrong answer here. Was the dragon good or bad? There's no answer to that. I personally didn't like it, and I wish they had gone with a different design. I'm sure there was a lot of thought and a lot of effort put into that design, and I'm curious what the reasons were. But it just did not land with me, and it didn't land with uh, a portion of of the fan base as well. 
What did you think about the other controversy, though? There's a lot of talk on the internet about people that are mad that in this final fight with the Reavers, Yen doesn't use magic at all. She's a powerful sorceress, as we've established up to this point, and she's out here swinging her sword. I think she did, at the very beginning, it looked like she froze someone. Oh, yeah, when, she, when did, she, she did do that time stop thing. When yeah. she first started, well, she did that to stop the dwarves, and at the very beginning, yeah, she time stopped one guy, and then, yeah, she's double-blading it up. And, <laughs> while, and that's the thing, while it, it was cool and all, I do kind of wonder, again, it's always just easy to be like, oh, budget, oh, budget. That feels like a budget thing to me, though, yeah. It does, but at the same time, like you said, Geralt is a witcher. We need to see him pirouetting and doing all these moves to let it know she's a badass sorceress. You know, I mean, it's easier for us to say this, but I don't know. Okay, she's got like a blade. How about, oh, fireball there, lightning yeah, bolt there, yeah. slash, 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 lightning bolt, slash, slash, slash. Ooh, throw a rock at somebody. I don't know. I think it would have been better because the fight was okay, but it just was, it was very uninspiring if you will yeah outside of and here's where we will kind of disagree the ard kiss <laughs> and here's the thing oh, about it <laughs> yeah here's the thing about that first off the ard was badass the like art that, itself badass the yes. art was badass and well, i actually saw the behind the scenes on twitter where they showed Ooh. it and they just yanked those people back and so that was an actual, like, real effect that they had the stunt people there, those soldiers, and they just pulled them back through there. So that oh, was really fun. cool to see that. But, and here's the thing about people, like, oh, that was cringe. Oh, that was dumb. This is The Witcher. This is not Game <laughs> of Thrones. This is not Lord of the Rings. It takes itself so seriously. This is pulp, fantasy, magic, dumb fun stuff and i'll be very vague with this because i don't want to give anything away there is something that happens in the books that i don't know if it's going to be in the show where a major character fights people on a frozen pond and they literally are on ice skates and they go around (laughs) slashing people very quickly (laughs) on ice skates and this is something i see time and time again from Read it from all these other people. Oh, man, I can't wait to see this scene. Oh, this scene's going to be awesome. It's something that's awesome on page that you can imagine in your head. It's going to look fucking stupid. <laughs> it's going to look dumb. But that's what it is. It's what that, that's what it is. The Witcher is a series that has somebody on ice skates going around slashing people and killing them. It's going to look stupid as shit on screen. So this is one of those things also there. Yeah, it might kind of look dumb, but that's what it is. That's the Witcher, baby. Yeah, that's the Witcher, baby. That's I love it. that. Yeah, it really feeds into that pulpy sort of part of the Witcher. And um, yeah, again, s- extremely subjective. I can't even exactly place why I don't like the art kiss, right? Like, so if I can be the devil's ad- advocate here, you and I uh, have different differing opinions about the art kiss. I was not a huge fan. My instant reaction was, what the fuck was that? And then on the rewatch, <laughs> as I was preparing for this episode, my reaction was, God damn it, I forgot about that. <laughs> and honestly, like, I can't place why I don't like it. I just, it feels so hokey in Hollywood. Like, hey, kiss me. You're my love interest. Oh, my power's amplified. There's also like, I'm reading way too much into it, but there's also these like, this like subtle sexual innuendo there about like kissing Jennifer makes 
Geralt explode harder than he ever has before. And oh it, yeah, like... no question. He just, oh yeah, he just came right there and just launched those motherfuckers back. <laughs> so I can't even or really dumb. articulate or put into words why I was so rejected the idea of the yard kiss. But again, I hate to side with the internet mob, but a lot of the internet mob did not like the yard kiss, and I didn't either. It felt a little too hokey and a little too Hollywood for me, but. Again, ultimately, it's subjective. I thought the actual visual stunt was very impressive and looked cool. Um, but the the kiss and the, the rest of it was just not for me. But again, ultimately, the show's not going to land for everyone every time in every instance. And it comes down to your own personal opinion on it. Um, I, we got to move on to our final key moment. I think... Neither of us are particularly looking forward to talking about this, and I do want to apologize to our listeners. We want to try and keep the negativity to a minimum. Again, you and I are huge fans of The Witcher. We love the show. We've enjoyed it thus far. We've had a blast talking about it on the podcast here. But this Kahir Siri Doppler storyline is just not landing for me, and I think you feel the same as well. All right, so that'll do it for Winds Howling this week. <laughs> we will catch you next week with Before a Fall. We'll see you on the... No, um, and it's the same way, too. And I'm going to be that same way that, you know, especially people who know me from my other podcast, I don't get negative at all. I don't really criticize anything unless, to me, it's something that cuts a certain way. But upon these rewatches, the Siri plotline is almost becoming unbearable. Like, it does nothing. Even the first time through, I was, like, interested to see what was going to happen. But now that I know, it's just, man, it's just taking up space. And at first it made sense, especially her with Dara as they get to know each other, and especially Dara's revelation as an elf and his, uh, the, uh, what happens to his family. But this here, it's just kind of there. And then Kair and the Nilfgaards. So the Doppler, okay. <laughs> the Doppler. We gotta try and untangle this way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, I apologize because this is the probably tenth time I've said it. But in the books, Dopplers when they become someone and they transform into somebody, they literally become them. They get their thoughts and everything that comes with it. It's very clear here that that is not the Dopplers, as Doppler Mausak does not know regular Mausak, and he doesn't know he has arthritis. <laughs> I guess he can't. Yeah. I guess he feels is, a lot better. Which, which is weird, because just like an episode or two ago, they established that Doppler Mausak got all of regular Mausak's memories. So he should know, right? I think oh, they established shit, you're that. Right. I think they just. I think they did make a huge mistake there. So, like, just two episodes later, Doppler Mousesack is like, oh, no, I didn't know that. Sorry. Or but that's a really lazy Doppler and just wants to get that shit over. He's so tired of hearing them, of hearing Siri. He's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Let's yeah, get to I think this they town. play up the aspect of, like, oh, I'm sick of this little kid. I'm yeah. annoyed. What am I doing here? Let's get this over with. But I don't think that's a justification for, like, blowing the job, you know, for, like, screwing up. Yeah, and he says we as opposed to, like, they're all uh, – again – the Dopplers are really fucking weird. Nilfgaard, really fucking weird. Right. One of my notes here um, that I have written down is this Siri 
plot. And we discussed this briefly in, in our past couple episodes, but I think one of the main reasons this Siri plotline isn't landing for us is because it's entirely there to do only two things. One, world building, and two, set up stuff for the future. Just like foreshadow stuff that'll happen in future episodes or even future seasons. And for show-only watchers, I suspect, A, that's incredibly boring because they don't know what's being set up. You and I know what's being set up, and it's still incredibly boring because nothing is actually happening with Siri now, though. It's all just, like, set up for the future. So I think that's where some of the missed opportunity was with Siri and her plotline. Uh, again, we, we keep beating this dead horse, but at this point, I would have rather preferred they stuck with the A plot, given us more of that, and expanded some of the world that way, rather than cutting back and forth to a plotline with Siri that A, kills the pace, and B, seems to be ultimately going nowhere. I mean, we'll finally see it converge in the next two episodes, but... It Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't land for me, and it's not doing anything for me. And at this point, uh, I'm actively tempted to just fast-forward every time it cuts to Siri, because I just want to get back to the, the parts of the episode that I'm enjoying. But it is good. I will say right now that where it ends, she has changed where Dara leaves, and she says, I'm done apologizing. Yes, we do see some and growth. And it's time to move on. And so with that point, we're kind of starting to see her may be kind of becoming something else. Okay, so I think we've shared a lot of our thoughts, so this wrap-up should be relatively short. But as we always do at the end of every episode, let's just sort of wrap up some big-picture stuff in the context of the six episodes we have discussed in depth on this podcast so far. What were your thoughts about this episode and in particular in the show thus far? The I enjoyed it, especially I think I enjoyed it more the first time. I didn't really enjoy it as much the multiple times I've rewatched it. But I loved Borch's character. I love that dude's voice. I loved his portrayal. I love that they aged him up and made him defending the dragon egg more meaningful. I mean, it was, like I said, it was in the books, but it felt more here because, like you said, this is my last hurrah. This is my last first. He knows that he's not going to be around very much longer. And that, I really enjoyed that. It was funny. Uh, the <laughs> Yarpin, the actor playing Yarpin, dialed it up to 11. <laughs> he, they were funny in there. I liked that the Cock dwarves... Hair, so good. Yeah, I liked that the dwarves were actually little people. I like that they weren't stereotypical Scottish bearded, you know, red-haired beard, uh, hair everywhere in that sense. We've gone over all the series stuff like that. So all in all, it was enjoyable. And, you know, it's we got to our first taste of an ad- a real adaptation of a lot of stuff being changed from a very iconic story. And so it's what we're going to have to live with because this is what it is. This is the storytelling medium. Yeah. And like I'll reiterate, like I said earlier, I actually am a fan of the changes they made to this story. I think they streamlined it and they added to it. I think the Geralt series love story plotline wasn't as prevalent. It was there in the books, but it wasn't as core to the story as it was here in the TV show. So I liked a lot of the changes they made to the A plot and to the dragon story. 
Again, we've already shared our many thoughts on the Kahir plotline and the uh, Doppler plotline, so I won't get into that. Overall, though, and again, I have to preface this by saying I'm a huge fan of The Witcher, a huge fan of the show, but I think this was the weakest episode yet. And personally, having seen the entire first season while we're recording this one, this was, in my opinion, the weakest episode of the entire first season. There were just a lot of things about it that didn't land. Geralt and Yennefer was probably the only thing that personally landed with me and I think had some emotional weight. The rest of it, I was either bored or tuned out or extremely distracted, i.e. the chicken lizard dragon. Like A lot of things were really taking me out of the story where I really wanted to be invested into it. And the parts that truly had me invested were Yennefer and Geralt. So in my opinion, not the best this season had to offer. And last week we talked about how how episode five, we both felt like it was just sort of missing something. And then this episode, I felt very much the same, sort of missing something. But at the end of the day, you and I as huge fans of The Witcher are here for the ride. Well, Abu, podcast or podcast, lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract, and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path. At the Croc, Vanessa's kids play basketball while she unwinds in yoga. And on the way home, they always share tips. They can dunk from downward dog and make hook shots in headstands. Join more than a gym when you click the link. The Croc. Get into it.